0: Are you ready to be connected? You're listening to the Insured Connection Podcast by Pica Group, a pro assurance company, where we provide expert advice for your practice when you need it most. We connect you with industry leaders to discuss timely topics so you can listen, learn, and get back to caring for your patients. Now, let's connect.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Dr. Adrian Ross. Uh, thank you for taking time to join us back on um, the Pika Podcast, the Insured Connection. As you're aware, you know this is the um, our official podcast that goes out to all of our lines or all of our audiences. You know, chiropractic care, podiatry care, lawyer care, as well as dentistry. Um, and I have the honor today of you know having really a deep, intimate conversation. If you haven't already heard his story with Dr. Alep Shaw. Um, this is a story that is kind of, you know, as you'll hear him kind of unraveling, you know, the unexpected, you know, of what we, of course, what we never expect as physicians, you know, to happen, you know, so we're titling this more of the unexpected, you know, and kind of breaking that down and showing more of an intimate portrayal so that you can benefit from it. So, Dr. Shop, thank you so much for, for taking the time to really kind of open up your life for us so that we can kind of learn from it and and also just being courageous and vulnerable in that sense.
2: Thank you, Dr. Ross. No, I, I truly appreciate it. It's, it's actually my honor to be able to talk about this because it's one of those things where there's not a lot of platforms to be able to speak about uh, personal experiences, especially when they're not anticipated and, and, and things may not go in, in what you thought that and planned that they were supposed to go. So this is something that I hope uh, our colleagues in, in any industry, doesn't matter what it is, and, uh, can understand the different consequences, consequences that can occur based on certain decisions that you make.
1: Absolutely. You know, so give give our audience just a quick snapshot of essentially what we're going to be talking about with respect to anti kickback and, and things to that effect.
2: Absolutely. So I guess I should start from what what my uh, my career is and then how it started and all that. So I started practicing dietary uh, back in 2000, actually I graduated school from 2000 to the two year surgical residency and then started practicing in 2003. And this is in a town, uh, Columbus, Georgia, which is my hometown where, where I currently reside. And I was an associate and became a partner in three years. I always had a, a big interest in, in consulting and in developing new products and seeing what uh, new techniques and, and 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 different materials were available for, for, for things in our industry. So I always sought out new companies and and wanted to test things, want to be cutting edge and that type of thing. I, I, I developed a huge interest in wound care. And so I started consulting for two wound care centers. And and became more and more involved going down the wound care radical. And so that invoked my interest in wanting to speak for companies that actually created wound care products. So I'd have to say numerous companies came to me to to ask me to become one of their speakers or or part of their speaking bureau and and consultant and also test and trial products to create them. And so through my early stages of my career, I started consulting for two or three different companies. And as I became more and more uh, skilled in that field, I got more and more opportunities to, to to pick up new wound care products, help develop new wound care products. And it's always been a great passion of mine to to try to, um, as we all want to have limb salvage as one of our hallmark, uh, I, I should say one of our hallmark characteristics of the McDigris. It became a big passion of mine to continue that that trend. And so I wanted to be known as the expert in that field. So that essentially is my background, practicing from 2003 until until um, everything that I that I went through, which we'll, we'll get into, I'm sure.
1: Sure. I mean, that really does help with our listeners because, you know, a lot of us have interests in wound care and there's a lot of products, a lot of vendors out there right now. Um, so like you said, I mean, getting a little bit into your story and kind of why we're having this podcast right now, you know, mm-hmm. Give us kind of a little bit of a a timeline or whatnot, as far as when you started doing consulting and how that eventually ended up leading to, you know, kind of the finality of what we were talking about with, with charges. Sure. So
2: as I was saying, I was consulting and and I was approached by a company back in 2014, early 2014, it was a compounding company. This is when compounding was very hot and heavy and there was a lot of, a lot of buzz about the, around the compounding industry, as far as new medications that could be used and and, and coverage, insurance coverage uh, was there and available. So a lot of our patients were benefiting from compounding medications, and, and podiatrists were being approached constantly for for topical pain management, for wound care, for dermatological issues, uh, scar, that type of thing. So uh, I had been using compounding for two years prior to that, back in 2012, and then in 2014, a company approached me. It was a a podiatrist and a business owner and they knew I'd spoken at one of the conferences and they came to me at a dinner and said hey we we see that you're a speaker we know your your background we were wondering if you could come help us market our drug and maybe help create some trademark podiatric um, topicals that that we can start marketing and 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 make it be known that it's our medication and knowing that you are somebody in that field it would be great because you could sort of lead that and of course I was I was open to any suggestions and and also any opportunities at the time and uh, at, that, at that specific conference, I was speaking on behalf of a uh, amniotic tissue company. And so I was trying to, again, trying to find new things for, for the diabetic market. And, and so I said, sure, let's let's do it. And I didn't hear from them for a couple of weeks. And then two weeks later, they came and visited my office. And we spoke for a while. And like I said, one of them was a podiatrist, the other one was a business owner. And so they had a lot of validity and cred- credibility to them. And so I, I kind of. Uh, really bought into their story about trying to uh, develop these products, being on the cutting edge, if you want to call it for compounding, which I know that sounds silly now, but it is at that time, it seemed like it was a new field and, and nobody really knew how to use a lot of these compounds. Um, so that being said, I went ahead and, and, and said, sure, let's do it. And so we, we spent about two to three weeks going over uh, contracts and in, in regards to back and forth emailing, I should say, they, they, they kept on sending the contracts, but there were some errors in it. and. I said, well, the first page doesn't look right, the second page doesn't look right. Mind you, these are 20, 25 page contracts, right? But um, but I read the first couple of pages and then I kind of briefly perused the last five to 10 pages, maybe not completing the whole document, but I went ahead and signed my, my name to it. And I said, I'm, I'm excited, let's get started. But let me start working with your pharmaceutical company and, or excuse me, your pharmacy, and I'll start sending in suggestions. So for example, one of the things I wanted to, to create was maybe using tribanaphene and thinking how can we, do an injectable terbinafine or, or a, a topical terbinafine that'll be a lot more uh, penetrating than, than just, just the creams and, and the oral medication that we can actually put to a nail bed, really resolve onychomycosis at the, at, the, uh, at the surface level, and if not deeper. So I was just, you know, I was toying around with all these ideas, including wound care and some different growth factors that could be applied to diabetic wounds and whatnot, and, and throwing ideas at them as well. So this contract was supposed to last a year, and essentially throughout that contract, we had numerous conversations of developing these products. I've talked to their products and I talked to their pharmacists about creating these custom products. And every month or two, we'd have conversations about going to meetings, which we had done. And and I I spent some dinners with certain doctors and and went to national conferences and state conferences, never having a formalized uh, a luncheon or any sort of a presentation or a booth at any of these conferences, uh, like a typical pharmaceutical company would have. So doing that, I kept on suggesting, why don't we have some lunch and learns? Why don't we have some some programs where I can actually speak on the stage? Well, the response always was, well, we're a small company. We can't afford those fees. Right now, we're still trying to build a name. We would like for you to just continue to peer-to-peer. This is our modality, sort of a new way of, of, of approaching these. Is, is I'm a physician, you're a physician. Doctors respond better to peer-to-peer doctors uh, consulting or talking to them one-to-one level as opposed to making big speaking speaking to them because it's not personal. I mean, I took part to some of that because that is true. But I, I went on. I went ahead and, and and being a consultant for other companies, I went ahead and said, "Okay, let's let's move. Let's keep going. Let's keep doing what we're doing." And it really didn't pay a whole lot of attention. Um, fast forward six months into this thing, uh, there was a lack of communication It sort of broke down. But there was always constant communication on their side, saying, "Well, we noticed that you haven't written for a few of these medications. Is there something wrong with the medication? Is there any issue with customer service?" And of course. I'd respond back no everything's fine you know I, I was writing for five different compounding companies and they just were in the rotation and and of course if they saw drop in the numbers they were concerned and so these discussions have been back and forth um i still kept on trying to perceive intellectual property and giving them different suggestions in regards to um, different formulations and whatnot and some of that was taken uh, and, and given to the pharmacist some of it wasn't but it wasn't anything that was on my radar constantly because it was just something that I was doing. It wasn't like I was following up with these people on a daily basis. So we just kind of kept going with that, that, that sort of um, uh, program. Um, so essentially what ended up happening was after about 10 months, they called, and they said, well, we, we were basically uh, canceling the contract because we've had a falling out with the pharmacy. Now this whole time, the contract agreement was that they were gonna pay me a stipend. They were paying me $5,000 a month to keep doing what I was doing, not per um, any sort of conference or any sort of it was sort of included in, into part of that. Like if I was traveling, they they accounted for that. If I was uh, at a dinner, they accounted for that. But the stipend was five thousand. So that lasted for ten months, and essentially. Um, they had a following out with the pharmacy and they finally said, well, we're gonna cancel the contract. We don't have a new supplier. So we'll get back to you when we find somebody. Um, so that was the end of that. And I didn't really think much of it. And, and, and I said, well, small company, they couldn't get their act together and it all fell apart. Hmm. So nothing really happened for a few months after that. And and uh, fast forward about six months later, I get a knock on the door from the uh, investigators, the FBI. And what they're doing is they're actually investigating something. And they started asking me questions to any connections I had with them, any employment I had with them, any contracts I had with them, any contacts that I had with them, which I forwarded all that information during that first meeting that we discussed, the complete details behind the business and my involvement with them. Well, that that first hour of their questioning was very friendly. There was a lot of back and forth, there was banter, joking. Then that second hour, it started turning a little ugly. And what I mean by that is they started to become very accusatory. They started uh, finger-pointing more. They started saying things like, well, we know you're part of this big scheme. You were getting paid for writing prescriptions. Uh, we know that this is a kickback scheme, and you're one of 22 other physicians who were involved in this big circle. Well, I had no knowledge of this, and I didn't know that there were doctors getting paid for every prescription that was being adjudicated. So essentially, every script that, that TRICARE was approving, these doctors were getting paid a percentage for it. And apparently there's about a string of 22 positions involved, maybe a little less, but somewhere in that vicinity. Um, what was happening was this company was going after people in heavy TRICARE area, heavy, heavy areas of government insurance, which I live in a town that's next to an army base. And so we had a lot of active and retired military. Everybody had TRICARE or had some form of TRICARE. So you can imagine the coverage was very good. And so... Through this process, I learned that doctors were writing, they were, they were acting like they were speakers, but they were actually just writing prescriptions, and every time the prescription was being filled and being paid, they were getting 20% of, of the fee. So, of course, I had no agreement, mine was all just a flat fee, they something I was discussing with them in regards to uh, intellectual property, any sort of communication and marketing. So, uh, essentially, this, this, this investigation went on for about two years. They found almost 20 physicians who were involved, and a lot of them pled guilty. A lot of them uh, had a smaller amount of money that they owed, so they paid it back at the civil fine. Well, once all that was completed and the sentencing was performed, and of course, this is un- unbeknownst to me because this happened after the initial investigation. So just to give you a time frame, I was involved with this company from 2014 summer till spring of 2015. I got investigated in January of 2016 and heard nothing from them. All right. So well, we can get into some of the particulars of the challenge that when that happened, but I just want to finish the the, the story and saying that uh, they came back to me because I was sort of the last man on the, on the totem pole. I mean, they had closed the case with all the other physicians, and then they said, "Well, we got we got a Shaw who's left over. We need to go ahead and find out his involvement because even though he's not as involved as we may think compared to the other physicians, we definitely want to see if there is anything that we can get him on I and mean, get in this talking for them." But um, so that's, and, and so then then fast forward two and a half years after that, after that initial investigation, that's when the indictment got handed, handed, or handed, handed down. And I mean, we can talk more in detail from there.
0: Like what you're hearing? Go ahead and subscribe so you never miss an episode again. Now let's continue to connect on today's topic.
1: Yeah, that's helpful. I think the, the part that stands out to me in the story was that, you know, initially it started off, I mean, that's... Almost two years of a gap. Is that what I heard you say?
2: Yeah, that's correct. So January of 2016 is the investigation. And then June of 2018 is when you started
1: gap. And you originally, you started out with, I mean, you weren't consulting for just one company. You were consulting for multiple companies and you were genuinely giving intellectual feedback on the product and kind of research. And that was more your perspective.
2: That was my perspective, giving them suggestions on how to create their prescription pads, how they should include certain custom formulations in regards to different um, aspects of dietary, whether it was wound care, whether it was pathology, whether it was pain, neuropathy, or arthritis. Um, things that I've tried with my patients, and uh, essentially they were taking that information and using it. However, it wasn't being, I mean, for me it was more of a of a false premise, but it was it was being advertised more like, okay, this is what we're paying you for because we're going to be using you as that because there are "Quote unquote," sort of um, head investigator or researcher for this, physician for this. In case another doctor has a question, we want you to be the person to call so that we have a peer-to-peer consultation. Mm-hmm. Um, so my understanding was yes, I was I was doing this and I was getting paid a flat fee for it. And uh, like I said, that continued for ten months. And so the total overall money made from that was approximately fifty-five thousand dollars before taxes. After taxes, it was like thirty-eight thousand. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and again, we can get into what the total amounts were when we get further in discussion of what happened in the, in the trial.
1: Yeah, I mean, you led a great segue into it. Um, but before I jump into that, it's I, I I'm I'm shocked by how how common these kind of stories happen. You know, I mean, where we have vendors or companies that approach us as physicians on a very regular basis, as you know you know and so that uh, i think if anything that makes my ears maybe the listeners ears really kind of perk up so you know taking it from there and kind of going into like what you were were saying what was the overall charges that they brought against you and the amount and and get a little bit into detail on that for me
2: sure and and i think i also should mention to the audience that one of the challenges after the investigation happened was that i did i did get presented a target letter now, a target letter basically says, we're not charging you with anything. However, you're on our radar, hence the word target. You are somebody who is a person of interest, okay? And, and we will get back to you if you find anything. If we don't find anything, then we'll, you know, it is what it is. So in after that target letter was um, given to me, I had, a, I had trouble trying to find an attorney to represent me because I didn't know who I needed to approach. Um, so, I, so, I, so I eventually ended up with an attorney out of Atlanta, which is about almost an hour and a half from my hometown. And he's had some experience in in, uh, pharmaceutical, criminal work and that type of thing. So um, he represented me. And after the target letter was presented and he had some communication with the prosecution, he said, well, they're not charging you with anything. So really, at this point, let's just live life as as normal, which is very hard to do after you've been presented with a target letter and and you're now being scrutinized. And of course, um, your, your, your partners in your office know and in, in, in the sense that they were aware that there's something going on investigation wise and that type of thing. And you have it always in the back of your head. It's like, it's like uh, as I was telling you in other conversations, like having a black cloud over your head constantly, right? You're always worrying about, is this is this gonna lead into them banging down my door at 3 a.m. And because we, we've all seen movies and how that can happen and and, and that type of thing. So um, he said, well, look, we need to live life normal. I mean, there's nothing we can do at this point. It doesn't sound like um, they're really gonna do anything. And so I, I did eventually, after three or four months, go back to normal life, right? not having that mental block anymore. Um, so the challenges of find, finding an attorney were there, and I think our, our listeners should be aware that these are one of those particular situations where it's always good to know, you know, you don't think you'll ever find yourself in that predicament. It's good to know attorneys who you think could represent you if this were ever to happen to you. If you're, if you're involved in that situation of, of dealing with a lot of pharmaceutical companies, business consulting, Healthcare consulting—it's always a good idea to, to, to do that to think about that. And we can we can discuss that when it comes to some of some of the mistakes and ways to correct what I went through. Um, but going back to your question, yeah. So the some of the charges after we got the indictment in 2018, um, how that happened was I was at a at a, of course, ironically I was at a drug rep dinner. And I get a phone call from my attorney. And he said, pretty much, I was I was eating dinner and I saw my attorney on my caller ID. And of course, I instantly knew this was not good. And so I stepped away and answered it. And he said, um, you, need, you need to be aware that you're getting really indicted on four charges. So the first charge was conspiracy to defraud the United States, which has to do with the care aspect of it because they're they're considering it as a conspiracy in order to create this big, sort of facade of being a speaker, however you're getting paid for what you're doing. and then the other three charges are going to be your health care kickbacks. and that's based on the amount of money that I've received. And so basically, I had three healthcare care charges. The reason why is because they base it on their different buckets. depending on the amount they think you're holding you accountable for is ha- however many charges you're going get. So my initial charge was that I had earned uh, or I had um, abused TRICARE of over $1.2 million or I defrauded TriCare of over $1.2 million. And that's based on the prescriptions that I wrote and then what TriCare had paid out to it, you know, knowing that this was a, a nefarious activity. So that being said, it fell in the bucket of three independent charges of healthcare kickbacks. Now if it would have been five million dollars, there would have been more charges. So it all just depends on how many how um, much financially monetarily how much was actually being accounted for during the case. Anyway, so that's what the four charges were
1: your original question. So, so $1.2 million Um, with your story, it's, it is interesting and I want you to kind of get into it. You know, those are based on the prescriptions that you wrote. Can you please share, you know, with our audience, you know, did you write that many prescriptions totaling 1.2 million? So I think,
2: well, first of all, I didn't recall how many I wrote because that's something we don't really think about, right? We we just, we write the scripts and it goes off and then it goes from there. Now, of course I had written for four or five different compounding companies. So it's hard for me at the time to remember however many I had written for them. But fast forward to when this indictment came down, it was told to report to federal court in a week. I had to scramble to find a defense attorney because I knew that this might be something I had to go to trial for. So once we got to Manny. And we had the arraignment. And I pled not guilty. I went through the whole rigamore of, of being in and, and, and really um, doing the whole chain shackling and the walk and all that from from where they keep you in the holding area to the actual courthouse. Mm-hmm. You you give your plea. They, they they explain the charges and then they and then you're pretty much you're going to be able to go home or you're not based on whether you're going to make bail or not, which, which I did because I wasn't a flight risk or right? thing. So the trial was then set for about two or three months. After so, to answer your question, once um, we start, we, we got the trial. Uh, we were ready to do jury selection. You know, and and the jury uh, selection process involves exchanging information, making sure that we got all the evidence we need, they got all the evidence that they need, that there was open communication lines between us and the prosecution, and and then the prosecution stands up right before they do the jury selection, says, "Well, we have to let you know that we we may have some evidence we need to present to the defense in the discovery phase." So the judge pretty much looked at the prosecution and said, are you kidding me? This is, this is unacceptable. Now is this going to be exculpatory? Is this going to help the defense or is it going to hurt them? And of course the prosecution is like, we don't think it's going to do anything. However, we feel like we have to disclose it in case it comes out later on. Well, it turns out they had a box, they had boxes and boxes of prescriptions in a warehouse that they didn't turn over to us that were all the prescriptions written for every doctor that this company was associated with. As you can imagine, maybe, 12 to 15 boxes full of prescriptions, okay? Um, So we literally sat there and looked through every prescription and pulled all of mine. And I found out that there was a lot of auto refills. There was a lot of forged signature. And uh, basically these were submitted for for, for refilling to the patient without my knowledge because the way it worked during that time was if you put auto refill, the patient was automatically sent a tube of whatever that they had, had prescribed uh, whether they acknowledge it or not, because it was an auto refill. It was almost like having a subscription. And then then TRICARE gets billed for that amount. So it turns out that they told me that I was responsible for about $1.2 million of, of uh, reimbursement from TRICARE or adjudication from TRICARE. Uh, I only had written about 212 prescriptions. So that financially was under $200,000. So as opposed to the $1.2 million. And so that changed the strategy a little bit on my defense because we found out that all these scripts and stuff were being filled without my knowledge. So it was more of a okay, well, it wasn't 1.2. It's in fact it was only 200 less, 200,000 or less. However, that still doesn't mean, and that's still a lot of money. And and so we tried to re the prosecution and said, what do you want to do about this? And they pretty much said, well, let's go to the judge. The judge said, well, we're still going to go to trial because enough work has been done on week where we think that we want to move forward and and decide where this case goes and leave it in the hands of the jury. So the trial got rescheduled to January of 2019. So indictment in, in 2018 in June, um, initial trial in October of 2018. Then it got pushed to January of 2000. And that's when we actually did the trial.
0: Want to receive a monthly newsletter with topics from the Insured Connection? Head over to picagroup.com forward slash Connection and join our email list to
1: have it delivered right to your inbox. So obviously, I know that you have a lot of thoughts as far as, um, you know, kind of what could have been done different. And it, I mean, you you mentioned even, you know, particularly on this platform, kind of the legal aspect of it, you know, and finding the right attorney. So could you give us kind of, you know, kind of your summary points as far as what were the pearls and kind of the lessons that you learned?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, I think the, the key to understanding when somebody was being put in this position is one, like I said, they need to have a team of quote unquote, advisors, or at least somebody that they know they can go to in case they get they get into a situation or circumstance. If you are gonna be involved in business contracts with healthcare companies, pharmaceutical companies, surgical companies, you need to have your contract reviewed. You. And you know it may cost you some money and you may think, gosh, I'm gonna spend a couple of grand. But at the end of the day, if it's not reviewed by somebody and there's some issues in there, which is what happened to me, um, I'll give you an example. I didn't review my contract. Well, they're on page 23, it said I needed to visit my pharmaceutical site. And perform sterile testing on some of the products. I needed to educate the pharmaceutical staff on any of the chemicals that mm. are being utilized in the medications that was marketing. Well, I didn't read that, and if I if I did, I probably don't remember reading that. Mm. And that's what the prosecution was hanging me on when we went to trial. And they said, "Well, look, you signed a contract. We were making money because we were so happy you were making money, but you yet didn't even fulfill all the duties that were required by you." Now, I ran that through an attorney. I probably would have, the attorney would have said, look, you do realize you've got to do this and this and this to, to be able to make your um, $5,000. And if you don't, then you're in violation of the contract. Again, I wish I would have had it reviewed by an attorney. Uh, so, so tip one is to have somebody on your side, too, is to make sure it's being reviewed. That's important. And 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 for me, I just didn't have an outsource of where I could go to find a proper attorney when this all happened to me. So that's why I advise anybody who's going to be in this type of business that they need to have somebody that can help them help them. Uh, or I should say have their back in case something like this were ever to happen again. Because I, I found that I only had a short amount of time to vet an attorney, and, and in that one-week time period, there's only so many attorneys you can call. I mean, it, you may know, it's like it's like calling somebody and then waiting a day for them to call you back, and then they're trying to get the information, I and mean, then what questions do you ask these attorneys? I mean, none of us have been through a position where, where we've been invited, but we don't know what to ask an attorney and how to defend us, other than let alone know all this Legalities and laws. I mean, we've all heard of anti kickback and Stark and, and, and Sunshine Act and all this, but really, if I sat somebody down in our profession and, 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 and asked them, can you tell me exactly what they are? They would not be able to say. I, I mean, maybe very few of them, but for the most part, I can guarantee you, most of us would not. Mm-hmm. So, again, it's important to understand all the uh, details of those, of those statutes and laws when you're dealing with these companies, and then just making sure that you have somebody that can help you guide you through that process.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, you bring up a good point because a lot of, as you know, a lot of physicians, we know attorneys, you know, right. or family members that are attorneys, but when you're actually going to pick your attorney, who's going to go to bat for you, it's important to pick an attorney that actually knows that particular specialty, you know, and not just general counsel or whatnot, you know, so.
2: totally. Yeah, And I found that my defense was spending more time researching the material than actually knowing what to do. Like, like, like the first before trial, the first third or half the time period was spent on researching all about the legalities versus the actual strategy of how to defend it. So it just became a very frustrating situation. And again, you're, you're retaining these attorneys, right? So you're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars just to, just, to, um, just to keep them on. And then you're thinking, well, gosh, if I leave them, they're going to retain some of that and I'm not going to be able to use it for the next the next attorney. So you really are kind of stuck. It's you're, you're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place.
1: Exactly.
2: um yeah and so i mean look just to even fund my defense i mean it was depleting my 401 it was uh, help from family i mean it was it was quite a quite a task it wasn't as if i could just stroke a check i wasn't i wasn't in that position uh professionally to just be able to say okay here you go let's let's just stroke a check let's, let's figure this mm-hmm. out it was it was a lot of um uh, figuring out how I was going to create these funds to be able to pay attorneys and and, and trust me they were not going to. Um, I mean, sure, they were there to help, but but still, they expected to be paid rightfully so. So um, it's one of those things where you just are put in a position where you have to make sure that who you're picking, they know what they're, their are experience, you know what they're experienced and, and are you going to waste a lot of time explaining the case, understanding what's happening in this case versus actually creating a strategy behind how it can help defend you, how the, how, how the attorneys can defend. You.
1: Kind of getting back to what you were saying, you know, planning for the unexpected. You know, nobody ever expects themselves to be in a situation like this. You know, and and very easily we could find ourselves in situations like that. You know, it's not that uncommon, you know, to to uh, have encounters like that with the uh, vendors. Um, As we kind of pull this, you know, kind of wrap this up because this has been, and I I want to thank you because not often do we have the chance to really have such a deep and vulnerable conversation, you know, and most of the times, you know, whether it's a malpractice suit audit or, you know, a criminal case, you know, we, we don't hear from the actual doctors who have gone through it, you know, and certainly when they've come out from the other side, you know, so to that point, you know, where are you now in your life, you know, as a provider and personally, and how are you taking care of you?
2: Well, I like to think I'm a pending provider because I've reapplied for my license since. So one of the um, suggestions was to voluntarily surrender my license. And I had an attorney tell me that this would probably be your best strategy at this point. So when it all went down, I went ahead and um, surrendered the license to the state. And and then, of course, went through everything that I went through. And now I've since reapplied for it. So I'm kind of waiting right now. It's in, it's in a pending mode. Aside from that, um, I'm very unemployable. It's very difficult because obviously my skill set's not going to allow me to work in a lot of places. I mean, most places are going to say, "One, you're either overqualified, or um, because of what I went through, they're you know the, the conviction. They're not going to um, uh, really accept that because that's one of their check, check marks. That's one of their background checks. So it's very difficult when you when you put yourself in that predicament. So you're looking for ways to just try to support yourself. I mean, the good news is uh, have a good supportive family, and and so I've been trying to help with, uh, I've been doing some odd med things. When I first finished my experience of or my, my situation, I started helping um, an education platform that helps prisoners and, and help provide content and their social media page. And then I helped provide some income. Um, also helped uh, a wellness weight loss center. There's a, there's a stem cell center that I became an educator for. And that I was able to talk to patients about uh, growth factors and things that I was always excited about when it came to wound care and stuff, and, hmm. and so that also helped provide some cash flow too as well. Um, and the and the other good thing is, is right now I'm in the process of creating a, a app, a a platform for for doctors, the surgeons. It's going to be a video sharing platform. That's going to allow surgeons to pick up tips and pointers for surgery, uh, especially for those that haven't done a case in a while, but they just want to pick tip and point a pointer from uh, from a case of, from somebody who has done uh, the case. And it's going to allow for that quick in- interaction to happen. So it's going to be another tool that's going to allow you to um, become better surgeons enhance your skills and also create better outcomes for patients. So more, more on that to come in part two, but we're, we're definitely heading in that direction. Um, part two of my life, I should say. We're heading in that direction as far as where, where we're headed now.
1: Wonderful. Good news. Yeah. Yeah, that is good news. That is good news. Um, thank you. Thank you very much for for coming on and, and sharing your experiences because I hope you continue to tell your story. Um, anyone who has been listening to this and students, attendings, anyone who's out and affiliated with medicine, um, I know that we all appreciate it deeply.
2: No, actually, my pleasure. I, I really appreciate you giving me the platform. And, and to that point, one of the things I'm doing is trying to get with the podiatry schools and even regular medical schools, and trying to create a risk management program for for physicians, especially for students and for residents, so they can understand and learn these things. Because as we are going through the process, we don't get enough education. If you look at your your overall credit amount being spent with, for this topic, it's very small. So, to that point, I am reaching out and trying to spread that message. So I appreciate you allowing me to share
1: Absolutely. Well, everyone, again, um, thank you for, for tuning in. Thank you for listening to the story. Um, you can always find us. You know, we would typically release our podcasts on Wednesdays. You can go to the PICA website and look for the Insured Connection. Again, thank you so much for joining us. And stay tuned for our uh, next, next guest on our next episode. Thank you, everyone. And that's it for this week's
0: episode, but let's continue connecting. If you're enjoying the Insured Connection, don't forget to leave a review on your streaming platform and subscribe now so you can connect with us each time we post a new episode. To stay connected with us throughout the week and to tell us topics we should discuss on future episodes, go to picagroup.com forward slash insured connection.